Welcome to the Medal of Honor podcast with your host, Tiffany Martz-Ching. In this series entitled, Take a Knee with Tiffany, we hear from military service members and veterans who share their personal stories about some topics that are quite taboo. These topics span from mental health to addictions, domestic violence, sexual assault, physical assault, and suicide. After these 15 stories are shared, we will hear from a panel of mental health professionals talk about trauma and, if untreated, can lead to addictions or suicidal ideations or attempting suicide. They also explain the different types of care available by a mental health professional. Let's join Tiffany now with this week's guest on the Medal of Honor. Hi, my name is Olivia Nunn and I am a retired United States Army officer. And I joined in 2001 and served for 20 years. And I commissioned from Radford University from Radford, Virginia. And I've traveled all around the world. And for me, I joined the military because that's what my dad did. And I was daddy's little girl and I wanted to do what my dad did. And he's and I knew since I was the age of four that that's what I was going to do. What I was going to do in the army had no idea. And for 10 years in the Army, I served as a chemical officer. And then the last 10, I served as a public affairs officer. So I, I had a unique experience. So glad that I did it. Fortunate to be part of an amazing tribe. And uh, highly encourage anyone who's interested about the military to, to learn about what the military offers. Because it's more than just a job. It's a doorway of opportunity that you're going to go through, that you're going to be forged um, under fire. Um, sometimes, but when you come out on the backside, the opportunities are endless on what you can create. Welcome. I state your name. Olivia Nunn. Scott DeLuzio. Kim DeFiori. Eric Hallman. Kim Campbell. Katie Stolls. Michael J. Weiss Sr. Do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. And that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me. According to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. So help me God. So help me God. So help me God. No, 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 you know, you're right. And the reason why it, we don't talk about mental because it's invisible, right? You can definitely look at somebody who's missing a limb or who has scars on their face or their bodies and say, yeah, that's a, that's traumatic. And you're going through something or have gone through something or you're continuously going through something because there's a physical scar to that, right? You can, whereas mental, you don't see that. That's, it's all internal. It's how you feel. It's what you think. It, how you project yourself, how you internalize things, you know, but the brain is the most important organ in our body. It runs everything. And so, you know, when we're not healthy there, you know, your rest of your body isn't healthy, right? It, it affects you in, in every, in every way, right? Um, you know, and I think the fact that we're having the conversation is where the change is starting to happen. 
earlier you said something about two different events. One at the beginning of your career, and then the other one was towards the end of your career and into that veteran status. Do you care to share anything about either one of those? What's important is that I'm a firm believer that when you won head on, face your demons, and uh, two, I think in some part share that because you're not the only one. And if my story and talking about my story gives somebody the courage to be able to face their demons and to get help or resources, um, you know, then that's that has been worth it to me. And I know that it has because I've, I've received many comments and messages and love and support. So essentially what happened in 2003, I was deployed to OIF-1, um, Operation um, Iraqi Freedom. And it was in 2003 to 2004. And I was a young first lieutenant. I had just gotten promoted. And uh, I was a convoy commander. I was on the roads every single day on MSR-1, you know, Tampa. And my job was to um, escort and protect Turkish fuel trucks. And they came from Turkey. Um, Hunter and first picked them up out of Mosul and then they brought them down and I picked them up uh, north of Baghdad and Kirkuk. And then I took them down into Baghdad and stopped a couple of different fuel depots along the way. And these trucks brought, you know, all kinds of different fuels, uh, diesel, benzene, propane, you name it, things that were needed by the people of Iraq, everything from being able to heat their homes to cooking to their cars, everything. And, um, you know, I, I was doing that mission and I did it every day. I was out on the roads and I had a team. And in that team, I had an NCO um, who was for the, you know, for those that understand military, military structure, you know, you could say I was a platoon leader and he was the platoon sergeant. And um, I thought we had a great working relationship. There were some, uh, there are some things that were going on in the background that I, you know, chose to ignore, but, and I knew the signs were there. Uh, he was very volatile. He was, um, you know, uh, violent and he was not a good person to be around. But, you know, you don't want to think that about your own teammates. Essentially, um, we were on a mission and I was in the middle of negotiations with some Turkish fuelers and with, with the use of my interpreter. Uh, because we had a incident the day prior where um, a town that we traveled through had gone black. And what I mean by that, we had to go around it. They had rioted the day before and attacked actually my my convoy. And this was the second convoy. And um, they were afraid. These truckers were afraid and they didn't want to go because the, the truckers from the day previous had bleeding heads and their trucks were dismantled and windows were busted out. So, you know, Rightly so that these people were afraid. And in the middle of my negotiation, all of a sudden I got jerked back and picked up. I was startled. I, it took me a second to realize what was going on. And I realized it was my NCO um, in my face. And he was cursing at me. And essentially, you know, what happened is, um, you know, we exchanged words. He said that I was breaching security, which I don't understand. Um, and... He got in my face. Of course, we became very vulgar with each other. You know, army love, you know, people in the military love four letter words. And I do too. And I, you know, fired them back. Uh, you know, to give you a visual, I'm five foot one and, um, you know, I weigh about 120 pounds. And, uh, my NCO was, you know, six, three, six, four, 220, 230 pounds. You know, he looked 
he was built, you know, to me and my, my visual is like a linebacker. Um, and he definitely used his physical stance against me. He picked me up, he got in my face, he, um, got very vulgar with me, um, told me that if I didn't shut the F up, he was going to arrest me. And if I tried to move, he was going to shoot me. Um, he was going to, um, lock me up. Um, he was the man in charge. He didn't give a, you know, a rip that I was an officer, let alone, uh, you know, a female at that, right? I was the only one, the only woman. And, um, so never mind our rank structure, but, you know, why is a man handling a woman like that? And, uh, he cranked my arm back behind my, my body, um, uh, to the point that I thought he was going to break it. It was an intense amount of pain. Um, he dragged me to the Humvee and he smashed my face and threw me into the truck. So, yeah, you know, I've, I've shared this story on other podcasts. You know, that's kind of a quick highlight of what that, that story is. Um, you know, I, I, I went home after that mission. You know, I went to my command on that, the day that it happened and I requested for an investigation, which they did a 15-6. It got botched a couple of times. It took forever because this happened like uh, September, October of 2003. I didn't get resolution until February 2004. And here we are. We actually have orders to go home. So we are in the, the trend of actually packing our things up to actually go south towards Kuwait as, um, you know, I'm getting a resolution from his commander because we were from two different brigades. And so he had his own chain of command and I had my own. And, um, essentially his chain of command said that I was conduct unbecoming because I had lost my emotional grasp of the situation because I cried uncontrollably. Um, from that assault. And because I couldn't get a hold of my emotions, I was conduct of becoming. And um, it was recommended that I had a negative uh, report placed in my permanent file, and which, you know, would have ended my career. And uh, they were going to handle him. Uh, he was a military police. They were going to handle him and take care of him. Nothing ever happened. Um, and so... And nothing really came out of the investigation. There was no reprimand for anybody. And I buried that. I buried that whole entire situation um, to the point where I think as a defense mechanism, I forgot about it for many years. But that stayed with me uh, because that incident told me a few things. Um, it made me feel I was unworthy. That it didn't matter that, you know, I had... I had integrity and I had told the truth and um, that this had happened to me, but yet I was considered a liar, um, conduct unbecoming and not believe and nothing came from that. Um, I had some imposter syndrome with that because I felt that since I wasn't sexually assaulted, it wasn't worthy to be called an assault and therefore we're not going to talk about it. Um and, you know, people that I relied upon, my command, and those that I, you know, loved, you know, basically was like, you need to move on. You're stronger than this. Just forget about it. Move on. But your things I don't think you should, you should say, right? It, looking back on it now. Um, and I carried that for a very long time. And you have to come to terms with that at some point in your life. And for me... That came to terms in my senior part of my career, um, you know, the last few years as a senior military officer. You know, here I am as lieutenant colonel. And the truth is that, you know, it affected me. 
in many ways. It affected my attitude. It affected my mental state. It affected how I saw myself, um, you know, to the point it's like I was angry all the time. And that, that bled over into my parenting. And um, I had to do something about it. So that's that was my incident as a lieutenant. And, you know, I just didn't want to share because I felt such shame. I felt such shame that I was the one that did something wrong. I was made to believe that it was all my fault, that I could have done better. If I had done X, maybe Y wouldn't have happened. If I had said something smarter, if I said did something faster, if I, you know, all these things, um, then it wouldn't have happened. And the truth was that that wasn't the first incident in which he had laid a hand on me. He had, he had kicked me in my stomach before. He had thrown me to the ground in a previous incident that I hadn't reported where he threw me to the ground and kicked me in my gut. Um, he had smashed my glasses before. He has been very vulgar with me. He has been crude and talked about inappropriate conversations toward me, at me, and around me. Um, you know, and and so they, it just all kind of accumulated to that, I think, to that one point. Uh, but it leaves a residue, a sticky residue, and it, it wasn't a good one. So I had to confront that. How did you go from three years into the military to being able to stay in long enough to retire, having been not only having that happen to you, but then being basically being dismissed by the people who were around you and above you? How did you get from three years in to 20 years in? Uh, what kept? How did you keep going and moving forward? But I think a, a huge part of it is culture. So I'm Korean, first generation Korean American. And, you know, our culture is that you dig deep, you dig deep and you work hard. Um, you know, and I think part of that trauma to survive that trauma is I forgot. I literally forgot about that incident um, to the point of, oh, yeah, this thing happened to me. But it was, you know, it was very nonchalant about it. Um, but we're not going to talk about it. Next topic. And I think the other part is that I loved being in the army. I didn't have any other plan, right? I never created a backup plan. It was, I'm going to stay in the army for as long as I can until it's no longer fun. And at that point, the army was fun for me, even though we were deployed. And even though that was scary, I couldn't see a life outside of that. Um, I just felt like this is where I needed to be. And so you flush away what you think is negative. And you just tell yourself that this is normal, right? This is just the way it is. And again, I think the biggest part for me and it was a survival mechanism was forgetting about it and then telling myself that, well, I wasn't raped. So therefore, it's okay, right? Because I wasn't raped, um, that this incident, whatever, I can move on. And so you tell yourself these things. And I allow the guilt and shame of what I did to overrule any other logical thought because I took it upon myself. I wasn't a perfect leader. I wasn't the best lieutenant. I wasn't the, you know, strong leader that I, I should have been. And because I wasn't these things, that's why this thing happened to me. Right. Instead of realizing, you know, years later when you go through therapy and you realize that's absolutely wrong. 
right? There is nothing that I did that warranted his attack on me. Simply because we have a structure. We have a military structure in which how things should be handled, first and foremost. And secondly, I am an officer, and he is a non-commissioned officer. There's, we have policy and laws that govern how we talk to each other and how we handle each other. Um, and then the third part is the way a man should handle and talk to a woman and, and how a woman should handle a man, vice versa, right? Um, and so when I look at all of those things, I just said, well, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't this, that, or the other. And I made excuses for that situation. Um, because my eye on the prize for me at that time as lieutenant was I wanted to be a commander. For me, it was, you know, work hard enough and rise through the ranks and shine bright as you can so that you could be a troop commander. That's where I wanted to go. Um, beyond being a troop commander, I really didn't have an idea. I just, I wanted to be a troop commander. And, and I think to really understand where that drive came for me is I was a chemical officer. We don't typically in my branch, we don't command companies. There's not enough chemical units. And you're lucky if you're going to be afforded the opportunity to command an organization that is not chemical. And, you know, his, it's now General Funk. He is, you know, trade op commander currently. But back then, you know, he was my brigade commander. He was Colonel Funk. And he gave me that opportunity of being a troop commander. I was a brigade troop commander, the HHT for first brigade, first cab. And I was the first female to do it. And, you know, that, that was what I was trying to strive for. That's what I was pushing for. Everything else was to me, things that got in the way is how I looked at it. But again, it leaves a residue and you, you have to face that on. And for me, that came at the tail end of my career of, no, you had trauma and you, and you need to face it. Is that so? So is did that play a part now at the end, end of your career or once you've retired? Was that um, part of what maybe maybe some, I'm making this up because I don't know. But is that part of maybe what snowballed into now that you're out in the military? Um, suicide is is the best way that I know how to handle all of this trauma that I've experienced over the past two decades. I don't know about that. I think for me, my personal you know story, you know, I dropped my retirement paperwork, right? You do that a year before you retire. And at the same time, you know, a very personal incident was going on, right? So here I am amending my career and um, I was going through an unexpected divorce. You know, I, I want to make this very clear. My ex-husband and I are friends and we're co-parenting and we, you know, in fact, I, I was talking to him yesterday because I had a problem that I needed help with and he, you know, he was a great advisor when, to me when we were married and he still continues to be. It's just that, unfortunately, our love story just came to an end. And I think for both of us unexpectedly too. And with that, that comes um, trauma and that comes pain because I wasn't expecting it, you know, it came out of, for me, left field, um, you know, everything that I was working through, right. My identity as a military officer is about to end my identity as a mother and a mother who's married, right. Being a wife, all of that was coming to head. And so it took me down a very dark place. Um, I wasn't functioning 
And for me, I started to plan my suicide. Very, very detail-oriented because the Army taught me how to be a great planner. And that's what I started to do. And I planned it, you know, planned it very detailed. Um, and I think it's just all of those things that have impacted to say that, that, that my assault as a lieutenant was the thing. I don't think so. I think there's a lot of things in my career, right? Um, there's the things that as a woman I've dealt with being, um, gaslighted. There's things about being harassed, um, verbally harassed, right? Um, the way that I've been treated, the way that things weren't, um, you know, done in a certain way, all of those things impact you at some level and carry with you. Right. And, you know, I've had other podcasts where I've talked about that, you know, um, the sexism, the, uh, identity, the, you know, all of those things. And here I am at the end of my career all these things over the 20 year career that I really didn't address that I really didn't go through therapy or talk about because again, it's not what you do. We are army officers. We are strong. We are rather, you know, for the most part indestructible at some level and you carry on and you do whatever it takes to make mission. And that doesn't work. Um, at some point, that mentality doesn't work, right? Something's going to break and something's going to give. And for me, that was me. That was my mental sanity that broke. As I sit here and listen to your story, I'm amazed. I really am. Because you could have easily quit, but you persevered. My question for you is how in the world did you do it? You're stepping back for a moment when it comes to any kind of event like that, any kind of event that has uh, that has the word assault attached to it. One of the things that I think is difficult is not taking the blame for something that somebody else did to you. It's easy to say in the back of your mind after something occurs is, well, if I only did this or if I only didn't do that, then this entire event would not have happened. And it's so easy to blame yourself for whatever that event is that occurred. You know, at the end of the day, just know that it is not your fault, right? And I, I, I say that knowing that it's so easy for me to sit here in my podcast studio and say that to your listeners, that it's not your fault. It's, it's knowing that in your head and in your heart. And those are two very different things, right? I, can, I am so logical and there's things that I just know what the answer is. But just because my head is saying something doesn't mean that I feel it. and when it comes to being validated, when it comes to, you know, your mental health, your feelings have to be addressed first before you can start working towards your head, right? Just know that you're not alone, that you are crazy, and that, you know, you don't necessarily have to share your story, right? You don't have to go out on podcasts and share stories like I did, but just know that you're not alone. 
and you're not crazy and it's not your fault and that I would urge you to seek help. And that help can be anything from just talking to a certified licensed therapist to work through those emotions um, to everything to, you know, sharing with somebody that you trust if you don't want to go the therapy route, but you can't keep it bottled up. You can't keep stuffing and putting it away and pretending like it didn't exist. The unfortunate part is, yeah, not everyone's going to believe your story. Not everyone is going to understand where you're coming from. And that's the unfortunate part of that. But I don't want people to not tell their truth because they're afraid of what others are going to say. Because those that really care for you, those that really love you, those that are going to be there for you, they'll believe you. And they'll be there for you. Everybody else doesn't really matter. But you got to do it for yourself. You know, there's this, you know, if I could paint a visual about self-care. You know, you can't pour into others if you are empty yourself. So if you envision yourself as a coffee cup, you can't pour your coffee to somebody else if your coffee mug is empty and you are that mug. You know, you've got to, you got to fill yourself up first. It's the same thing about the airlines. Why do they say put your mask on first before you help others, right? Because you can't be passing out in the middle of trying to help somebody because you didn't take care of yourself. And I think we forget that. I think we really forget that sometimes as, as women, just because of our nurturing type of personalities that we tend to have and as mothers. And we feel such guilt for doing things for ourselves, you know, that this time could be spent doing this for my kid or this for my husband or this for the unit or this for whatever, instead of saying, I'm going to be selfish for myself so that I can be a better mom, sister, you know, daughter, soldier, fill in that blank. Um, because I did this for myself. And I'm not saying, you know, every single day is a party day for yourself. That's not what I'm saying. You know, find something that you can do for yourself. Maybe that's a mani and petty. Maybe that's a massage. Maybe that's a, a weekend getaway for yourself. Whatever it is, you've got to find out how to refill your own cup. Um, because those that you really love and those that really love you, you know, that's, that's how you count on each other. It's because you, you count on yourself first. Wow. I mean, <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, I, yeah, I, you know what? You're like all up in my business. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> because to, to the same point that you said, I remember going through counseling for my assault and the biggest obstacle that, I mean, I, I kind of feel bad for the counselor now, but like the biggest obstacle she had to work on helping me get over was the fact that it wasn't my fault. Because in my mind, I had the mindset that I'm an NCO. Nothing happens to an NCO. I make stuff happen because that's what NCOs do. As an NCO, I make it happen. If it's broken, I fix it. Therefore, if something happened to me, it's because I screwed up and I allowed it to happen. Um, and because I allowed it to happen and I didn't do kind of like what you were talking about with the, with the hindsight of if I did this, then that would not have happened. Or if I did that or I didn't do that, then this would not have happened. And it, there was nothing she could tell me that would convince me 
that it wasn't my fault. And so that was the biggest obstacle that um, I had to overcome in counseling was to realize it's okay to say and believe that something happened in my world and I did not have any control over it and it provided a negative outcome. That's okay. That's that's life and that's where we say life happens. It happened and produced some things that are not desirable, but it's okay. That's just part of what makes up our stories. Um but yeah, man, Olivia, you're all like oh my gosh, I feel like we're almost, you know, having some parallel like things, but now to the to the I guess the you've retired, you're out in the military now, um, and you've experienced, you know, the the not just the thoughts, but the detailed plan of how you're gonna fix this problem. Um, with suicide, for the person that's whether they're just thinking about it, contemplating it, or maybe they have that detailed plan written out, planned out and they're equipped to do whatever this plan is, what do you tell that person? You know, everybody's demons are different, and everyone's going to face those demons differently. And I will say that the hardest part of that journey for me was just saying I needed help. To physically utter the words, I needed help because you don't want to admit that you need help. You know, you carry this mantle of I'm superwoman, right? I am, I'm indestructible. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a, I'm an army officer. I've had three tours to Iraq. I like, I'm indestructible. So why would I need help? But the truth is it's actually realizing that I need help and saying those words and realizing that, People do love you. It's a tough place to be. You know, I, I say that as if that was so easy to do, but it wasn't. Um, but it was part of my journey. And, and that was a really difficult time to go through. And, and here's the other part. Just because I chose to not follow through with my suicide plan. That doesn't mean that, oh, I'm fixed, right? That I'm done. Here's this idea that I had. Here's this plan. And I just didn't follow through. And so I'm done because I'm, I'm alive in here. But the truth is you deal with it all the time. Um, there are good days and there's bad days. I think people assume that you have a lot of good days, especially for people that are like me that spend a lot of time on social media that portray a lot of happiness. And social media is a snapshot in time of that day. And I do teach authenticity when it comes to social media. I am a social media teacher as well. And it's not that I don't ever not post that I don't have good days. It's just that, you know, I don't want to bring other people down. So I tend to share the happier sides of my day instead of the bad parts of my day. But the truth is I struggle with my mental health every day. Some days are easier than others. Um, you know, for example, this past week hasn't been an easy week for me. It's been 
relatively hard. You know, I have some stressors that are going on in my personal life that are triggering me. And, um, you know, it makes me think about the plan that I made and how I'm going to execute that plan. Um, but I know that I have resources, right? Because I've been down that road once before. And I have to rely on those resources, which is my counselor, which is those that love me, um, and leaning on them. I will never tell somebody that their story is not worth it or that what they're feeling is not validated or how they view the world isn't true because every one of us has a different story to tell and how we deal with that. The only thing that I can say is that, you know, ask for help and get, get help from the people that know how to help you that work in that mental health arena because you will be missed. You are worthy. Olivia, I am so thankful that our paths have crossed. And I appreciate you taking the time to not only come onto the podcast again, but to share such personal stories like you have. I am glad that you, well, I'm glad that you persevered through those events. I'm glad that you got the help that you needed. And I'm thankful that our paths have crossed because your story is a an amazing one. It's a powerful one. And I believe that people, their lives will be impacted because they heard your story. You know, it's not easy to tell. It's not easy to share. But, um, and for some, it's going to be hard to listen to. But you know, I appreciate what you do for our military community. I appreciate the chance to be able to share my story. So thank you so much. Thank you, and have a nice day.